Welcome Mistakers and Mistakers on Mistakers.co podcast and do not forget, there is nothing like failure. My name is Flo like Florian. For the last 10 years, I've been setting up startups from Colombia to Georgia through France and Dubai, going from mobile applications to websites and automation SaaS solutions with always a French touch of digital marketing. After struggling in a lot of aspects and after learning from my own mistakes, I decided to help other entrepreneurs by sharing more stories, learnings and experiences. Mistakers.co is the weekly podcast where I'm doing the interview of entrepreneurs worldwide. Our main goal is to share their learnings and experiences by commenting their own failures and stories. Far from being an easy task, it will take us through the big and small startups from single entrepreneurs to bigger companies. If you're looking to solve your current problems by learning from others, this podcast is made for you. So join us on mistakers.co and you can also find us on the main podcast platforms like Spotify and iTunes. And don't forget, subscribe to our newsletters to receive the freshest information. And keep in mind, there is nothing like failure. Hello Mistakers and Mistakers, uh, today we are having the chance of interviewing Andrew. Andrew who happened to be one of the first uh, person who worked with us on Mistakers.co and much more than that. Andrew has been, uh, Andrew where, sorry, the CMO at Yadik.com and he will be discussing with us today the rise and fall of Yadik.com how he helped the company to go from not much to one of the biggest websites in the Middle East and what happened toward the end. How could he explain the rise and the fall of what used to be one of the biggest websites, yadik.com. Andrew, good afternoon. Hello, Florian. How are you doing, man? Thank you for having me on the podcast. I, um, I think it's really important that we discuss our failures openly and we have a culture that celebrates failure in San Francisco and the rest of the world needs to catch up. If we celebrate failure, we can learn from it and then we can not do it again. So we get closer to success. And this is exactly why uh, we've been looking forward having you on the podcast. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a complete challenge, by the way, to, to get the time and the, and the tools to record you uh, for the podcast, but I'm home, more than happy to do it. Yeah. Andrew, before we start, maybe I can introduce yourself to the people listening to us today. Absolutely. You're known for being one of the uh, growth hacker experts in the marketing industry. You've been working and helping three companies to go from nothing to a three uh, to a million dollar uh, exit in Dubai and the Silicon Valley. For all those projects you've been doing with low or no budget, and uh, recently, if I'm right, you've been working to release the Chrome application from Tinder and Match Group, right? That's correct. Yeah. So basically, 13 years in early stage startup marketing, and what that means is. I'm used to building companies without big advertising budgets. So most marketers nowadays are leaning on Facebook ads and Google ads to grow a business. I know how to do PR, SEO, app store optimization, a lot of the organic marketing. I also do paid ads for companies when they scale to be much larger. But the key uh, differentiator for me, for me versus other marketers and why I like to use the term growth hacking is I build growth when we don't have resources to build growth in paid advertising. So that's why... I, I say growth hacking. And uh, this is exactly one of the reasons I wanted so much to get you on the podcast. We got the chance of attending one of your talks uh, in Dubai, and you came with so many like concrete advice that we can actually activate. And some of the things we've never thought about, even, even though it's been like for my side uh, over 10 years that I'm doing marketing, you really have an interesting experience. You really have a very nice way of thinking the digital marketing and the opportunities online. And uh, I'm more than happy to get one hour with you to discuss all of that. Yeah. Andrew, before we start, I would like to know a little bit more about yourself. Uh, tell us, I mean, are you coming from an entrepreneur family? Are you coming from a different background? How can you explain that you're today doing marketing? Yeah, it's funny you should ask that. So both of my parents are entrepreneurs. I've never had a job interview or a CV. My mom owned a clothing line uh, that made pants for men and women when they were like college age. 
uh, and my father's been in the jewelry business his entire life. So definitely come from an entrepreneurial background. I've always really felt comfortable in the entrepreneurial environment, which a lot of people are scared of, you know, no set income coming in and, you know, working for yourself and building a business that takes maybe years to become profitable. So um, comfortable in that environment. But I honestly never really saw myself as an entrepreneur until recently. I've really been focused and obsessed with just marketing and growth and analytics. And, you know, being an entrepreneur is so much more than just marketing. It's it's uh, sales, it's fundraising, it's HR, human resources, a lot more interpersonal communication goes into it than just being excellent at marketing and growth and creative uh, advertising. Which is true. And uh, by the way, so having both parents entrepreneurs, how did you feel this as the kids? Were you used of having some months with money, some months without money for the family? Did you feel your parents impacted, you know, by the ups and downs of the activity? How did this happen to you? Um, yeah, so I think that um, it, it's really good having um, examples in your, from your parents to teach you about being an entrepreneur, but uh, I never really thought I was going to go down that path. In college, I, um, I went for general business, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I had my first business in high school doing auto detailing, but um, uh, I think that once I started to travel, I started to see that internationally startups weren't really as focused as they were in the US. So I was able to um, add a lot of value, not just as with my marketing experience, but also with that entrepreneurial hustle, definitely. And uh, where did you grow up with your parents? Did you grow up in the same place or you got the chance of traveling from an early age? Yeah, yeah, I, I grew up in a small town in Ohio. Definitely didn't have access to travel. Nobody in my family really likes to travel. It's very simple hometown place people like their family and their small business and if you have a thriving small business and a good family there's really no need for more than that so um uh when i started traveling after college then i got out of the country and i started to learn that there's more out there than just america and um uh and nowadays when i go back to the united states i only go to california really the rest of the united states is not as innovative and as focused on um, solving world problems as San Francisco and Los Angeles. But, um, but uh, yeah, most of the time, so about half the year, I'm a digital nomad. So I work from my laptop. I'm in South Africa right now. Next week, I'm going to be in Turkey. The week out, I'm sorry, Morocco, then Israel, then Turkey. So I travel a lot just like you, Florian. I think that once we realized, you know, like the places where we come from, the cost of living is so expensive we can go with our laptop and be anywhere and save a lot of money and reinvest that into our own businesses. And uh, it is, uh, by the way, do you have any recommendation for any digital entrepreneur listening to us today? Yeah. Any website, not... any podcast you like? <laughs> um, for, uh, as far as like reading and stuff for an entrepreneur, I really love the book Traction. Uh, is a great marketing book that goes over all the different 19 different channels for growing your business. Um, I think that's a really good book. I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. Um, beyond that, I mean, I don't really subscribe to, um, even though I have an online course myself, I believe most of them out there are just scams and they're not really selling you actionable strategies. That's why in my course I focus on teaching, not theory, not how to be an entrepreneur, but actual strategies that you can implement and, and uh, uh, for growing your business without a paid budget. But I'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, so I, I think like I really love um, the entrepreneur subreddit on Reddit. So if you have questions about being an entrepreneur, I was actually just trending on the front page of that a couple of days ago. 500,000 entrepreneurs around the United States, mostly around the world, really. I mean, I talked to a guy off there in China today, um, but I, I recommend that for bouncing ideas off of other entrepreneurs. There's also a startup subreddit that I find really valuable for if you're a startup founder and you want to go ask some questions um, and get some real feedback from other people in the trenches, that's really good too. So yeah, for Digital Nomad, you say Reddit can be one of the good places to start uh, digging to get more information and see a bit, how is it? Yeah, yeah, if you're, if you're you know, there's definitely been a lot of people who've started their business, their startup while being a digital nomad, because you can reduce your cost of living and you can 
reduce your commute. So you can wake up, bust open your laptop, put in 12 hours a day if you want, and still have a healthy, active lifestyle if you're walking to the gym or you know, cooking for yourself at home. So being in the digital nomad is a, is a good thing, especially because you can go to places where you don't know anybody, so you have less of a social distraction. You know, like if you're in, um, I found that to be one of the biggest problems in San Francisco when you're actually living there is starting a company, but there's like amazing events and nightlife and um, people that have parties and birthdays and celebrations and hackathons and all kinds of things that take your time. And uh, as a digital uh, nomad, Andrew, do you have like three tips you would like to share with the people listening to us when it comes to you know, uh, reducing your lifestyle and start traveling with it. Any three actionable yeah. advice that people could eventually use for them? Yeah, definitely. So I think the, the biggest thing for becoming a digital nomad, the first thing is to realize, could you really do it, right? So you need to realize it's not just being on the beach. It's actually work. I work almost 70 hours a week, but my work is emails and Skype calls, and, you know, proposals and in building Facebook at campaigns and writing SEO documents and th you know, so it's not like it's what I love. So I don't actually feel like I'm working very hard, but you need to figure out if you could actually do that. There's nobody here waking me up at 9 a.m. I don't have to be in an office. It's very difficult to motivate yourself and you have to put the time in. I get messages from clients at 11 o'clock at night and I work until 1 a.m. sometimes instead of watching. I don't watch Netflix. I never, you know, um, I don't have a lot of the bad habits that people, other people have. I've been living out of a carry-on bag for six months, so not even a full suitcase. I just have like five shirts, one pair of shorts, one pair of pants, some workout clothes, and that's about it. A lot of people can't handle I have one pair of shoes. A lot of people can't handle that, but um, I'm wearing slippers 90% of the time at home. Um, so it's, it's, a give, it's a give and take. The first thing is about balance. And are you motivated and do you want to do it? The second thing is um, where can you, like how can you get employed? So it depends on what you're doing. You need to have either savings if you're building your own business and you need to have money saved up to where you can go and you can, you know, be frugal enough to live off that. Or can you earn an income remotely? So are you good, are you good enough at what you do that you can offer it remotely for less money than you would make if you were in the office? That's the best place to start. And then the third thing is, you know, like, are you the kind of person that won't get too lonely being by yourself? I mean, dating is quite difficult as a digital nomad. Um, you know, you're not going to uh, have a travel partner normally. Um, I mean, I have sometimes, but that usually doesn't last as long as you would if you were in this, living in the same city. Travel is difficult. The work life is difficult. Um, you tend to stay indoors a little bit, you know, with this job. Um, you obviously go to coffee shops, you work at the beach, whatever, but work comes first. So sometimes that means waking up really early and working a full day. Um, so, yeah, so I think money, relationships, and could you really do it? I like it. Uh, money, relationship, and could you really do it? I think it's a great tips. And uh, with the experience I have from my side, I can, compl I can completely relate to the three elements you just mentioned. Yeah. Andrew, Would it be possible to ask you one big favor for the people listening to us today? Sure, go ahead. Will it be possible for you to send us and we'll display it on, uh, and we'll put it on Instagram and of course the website, a photo of your suitcase? Absolutely. Yeah, it's actually a custom, it's a custom made suitcase. I'm glad you asked. It has my logo and my, my own picture that I took out the window of a plane on it. So it's a company in San Francisco called You Go Bags. They customize luggage and, uh, I thought they were really cool. So, I yeah. will be more than happy to, to promote them on the, on the website again. Andrew, as an entrepreneur, which is the question that you're just tired of answering? Um, I get a lot of people asking me, how do, how do I travel the world and work at the same time? And then I spent time making a course and then nobody bought it. So I think that... Uh, I get tired of people thinking that it's easy to just all of a sudden up and leave. And it took, you know, 10 years of me reducing my possessions, like disregarding materialism, um, loving travel, being very good at travel in the sense that I'm not a tourist. I like always am calm. I know where to go. I know where, where you know, like I don't need emergency phone numbers and vaccinations and stuff anymore. I'm an expert. I've been to 85 countries. I, I'm pretty comfortable anywhere I go now. And um, 
So I get tired of people assuming that I'm just like this random guy traveling the world and I'm a millionaire or something. It's true. It's true. And uh, once again, if you have any tips that we can display on the, uh, you can write on the blog, we'll be more than happy to share with the people listening to us today. Andrew, from zero to 10, how weird do you think people see you? Sorry, can you, you say that again? From zero to 10, how weird do you think you are? Um, weird in the sense like unique and strange. I'm probably a 10. I think that uh, my lifestyle is completely different and, and bizarre to people, especially from where I come from. My family, nobody has passports. They, would ne they never really even left uh, our area, part of our city, let alone the country. And uh, so I'm pretty bizarre there. But most people, I think, envy the lifestyle from the surface level. You know, like I'll, by the end of the year this year, I'll have been to 15 countries and I'm, you know, like staying in five star hotels and enjoying my life. I'm not like I'm not just working nonstop, but I am working a lot, but I'm doing what I love. So a lot of people are envious of that. But um, uh, yeah, I would say I'm pretty weird. Like it takes it take a long time to get here. And the first few countries I went to was very difficult and strange. And uh, I think it's great that you can share this experience because especially from the people listening to MrCurse.co podcast, a lot of them are facing the same problems and wants to do the same. So it's good to get your experience shared on the podcast. Uh, and now it's going to take us through the main question we're trying to answer today with you is uh, what happened to Yadi.com? Yadi.com yeah. was the Middle East uh, Yelp, the first ever reviewing website in the region. And... Mm -hmm. How did it happen that this website that became one of the leader in the region could fail? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so first thing, it's called Yadig. Like, it's a 1970s term from the U.S. from like disco era where people be like Yadig. Do you dig it? Like you dig it. So Yadig, Y-A-D-I-G dot com. Basically, um, I used to live in Dubai. I was head of marketing of two previous startups that had sold for millions of dollars, and I was looking for my next project. I was pretty much the most prolific marketer at the time um, for startups so in the region. In which, uh, which are these? The startups that had exited, one was called Dubizzle.com, D-U-B-I-Z-Z-L-E. That's still around. That's the largest classified site in, the, in Asia outside of China. And um, the other one was GoNabbit, which was the Groupon of the Middle East, which was purchased by Living Social. And I was head of marketing there for a while as well. After Living Social, um, I looked, I wanted to go back to a new early stage startup. I wanted to start even earlier when the product wasn't even defined. And so I found a local Emirati guy who was half American. His mom was American and he um, grew up in, the, in between the US and the UAE, which is very rare. And uh, he realized that Yelp wasn't around in the Middle East and we didn't have a culture of reviewing restaurants and the service and the quality is really bad in the region because there's no recidivism. There's no business, nobody going back to the businesses. They don't have to worry about their online presence. So he had an idea of um, publicizing that, that culture about reviewing businesses as a way to promote them or punish them if they're bad to you. And he, you know, he had some money behind him. He's a pretty wealthy, wealthy guy. And so um, he hired me to come up with the branding, the messaging, help work on the, user experience of the product and then launch and scale the marketing. And that's usually what early stage startups do. They hire me when they have a little bit of data, they have a little bit of an minimally viable product, but they need to scale up and they need a marketer that knows how to do everything himself. So 13 years experience, obviously I don't, I um, can pull in outside consultants and dev help and design help, but so uh, this, I'm was, able to this was back yeah. in 2000 and this was 2012. So uh, I had already been in the industry for like five or six years, and uh, I was adept at the early stage startup situation. So basically what we did was we started to launch some paid advertising, um, but small budgets because he's self-funding the project, which I can tell you if you're self-funding your project as well, do it, but get results quickly and or iterate don't just keep paying and paying and going along the same thing so before i had joined he had had like six or seven months where he was spending hundreds of thousands of dollars with no growth and uh so he was already deep into the pockets before i got there but anyway so 
he was pulling the reins back on the budget. So I'm a growth hacker. That's fine with me. If you don't have a budget, let's focus on PR. Let's focus on SEO, which is bringing the website up on Google. And um, let's focus on partnerships, three things that only cost blood, sweat and tears and don't don't cost any money for the business. So we invest a lot of time into that. And within three months, we were first page ranked for over 60,000 businesses in the Middle East. So I did the SEO from scratch. We focused on um, real content marketing and keyword density and then link building there, with, which is basically what SEO is. And um, because of the content rich reviews from users writing reviews, obviously it's really good for, for um, SEO. And then on top of that, we were able to have unique pages for each business. And if you think about it, if you go to Google, how many unique pages are there for the business? There's their, their website, their Facebook page, and then us. So we were able to come up really quickly and we got, we went from zero to 300,000 monthly unique visitors to the website. And then we focused on working on optimizing the product to get them to convert to signed up users and write reviews. So, but over the course of a year, I launched probably um, PR, giveaway sweepstakes, events. We did, give, we did events and parties where people would review. We had giveaway competitions for people writing reviews. We partnered with Rihanna, with the UFC, with other big brands that were coming to the region for promoting the website. We partnered with Groupon, getting our reviews to power reviews on their deals. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. By the end of a year and a half with the company, we had gotten really famous. For instance, um, we I did some growth hacking around remarketing. If you're a founder who knows about remarketing, you know how powerful it is. But basically, it's once they see your ad, you can show your ad to them everywhere, and it, you can do it by geo. And Dubai is a small city of only 700,000 internet users, maybe a million or so now, but that's not that big. Um, and I was able to show our ads everywhere on the days when people visited our website through PR. So you get a big article coming out, you have, then people go to the website, check it out, they go away, then they see your banners everywhere. It makes you very famous. They, they automatically think that you're the biggest company and it's not that expensive. We're talking a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, so we got some investment interest. And meanwhile, this website is slow. We're still at MVP stage. We have a development team in Pakistan. It's just me doing all the operations and director stuff. The CEO is dealing with his main business. This is just an. A so, um, how many people were in the team when you joined them back in 2012? One, just developers, just a, like a team of four developers in Pakistan and one designer in uh, in Dubai. So. The CEO is in the office about one day a week. He is just like a silent partner mostly, but it's his vision on the product, so he's still involved. So I join, we scale out the development, redevelopment, the iterations, and then we, I'm mostly a one-man shop on the marketing. Obviously, I have this internal designer that's helping me with a lot of the design stuff. So we're, we're growing, we're scaling, but it's, it's, uh, it's not super high-quality traffic because it's people that are coming in for the mobile number or the email address of this spa or gym and then they're going away and so we're optimizing the product and this is a long cycle you know you make a change you check the data you make another change based on the data you keep going you're going you're going that's how startups win they never give up they just keep iterating and iterating based on user feedback and analytics and what people are doing with the product so um but we figured out we were stagnating at that 10 percent a month growth without paid ads and so you know, I can, I tried to convince this founder to take on investment or invest more money himself, but we were spinning our wheels with trying to convince him to have, he's ha, take on investment. So if you're a founder listening to this and you have plenty of money and you don't think you need to take on investment, you need to realize that there's other reasons besides funding that this is lesson number one from the project. Other reasons besides funding to take on investing are PR opportunities. If this is a world famous investor or a banner investor, it will impress the press and they can write about it. They'll start focusing on your project more. It will bring better talent. People, you know, people in, within startup industry know that if there's a good VC on your project, the likelihood that it will succeed is higher. So people want to join a rocket ship that isn't going to fail like 90% of startups. So a good investor will bring this on. It's, and then on top of all that, it's their advice and connections. So um, the person, the investor that I'm thinking about had launched and sold like two or three startups already in the region. Uh, I get this founder in front of that investor and basically um, 
he wasn't he wasn't really impressed with what the big famous investor was trying to offer because he didn't really need the money but he didn't he didn't have the experience to recognize that it was getting this person on board because this guy only invests in a couple startups per year so to be one of those means that you get access to his whole network and talent and development and everything besides the marketing that we needed help with so we didn't take on that investment and i was told very clearly that i needed to continue with the growth hacking and get us to a million users before we went back to um any any investors so i was frustrated because there's no reason to think that a million is going to be make us any more valuable than we already are uae is still and was very much so a very small pond for a big fish of a startup there now we've already had billion dollar exits it's a little bit different now but at this point seven years ago we were we were with top five tech companies in the region so, and we were only making trying to very so if money. you try to sum up for the listeners of the podcast you join yadik.com at a very early stage you implement the three mm-hmm. uh, one of the three main components of um, of growth hacking being like the seo the pr and the partnership aside of doing mm-hmm. lots of events to make sure that uh, yadik is the cool brand and get people out there it took right. you how many months before you start getting the first real result in the growth you mentioned like a 10% organic growth how much time did it take you before it started? first month first month First, first month. No. Yeah. First month because, um, well, we did a lot of SEO hacking. I mean, I don't want to go into technical stuff, but there's, there were certain strategies that you can implement to make Google come and spider your website within one day. So we started getting rankings within even like first couple of days of rewriting the content and optimizing the site for, for speed and, um, and recategorizing the site pages. So we made it a very, we made it like Google's best friend, basically. I made it the website specifically to be Google's best friend. And then um, we started optimizing um, to keep them like we started having a pop up that offered giveaways. So if you think about it, you what kind of website has more access to free stuff from brands? Because I'm helping you drive your business. I'm not charging you anything. Every restaurant, spa, gym, nightclub, hotel. I had all their email addresses and we would just email them and offer them to give away prizes to our user base. And so I had a viral engine going on the marketing and really using like the giveaways to spur social media, the social media to spur more people signing up. And it was like a, a, a great funnel. So the growth happened very quickly. The point is, and what I'm getting to with the failure is like, so like I said, lesson number one was even though we were growing, we didn't take on investment. Lesson number two was working, you know, as a head of, as an early employee, if you're not the founder and you're listening to this and you're an early employee, or you're thinking about joining an early stage startup, you need to really, focus on the founding team that you're going to be working with. When I say with, you're not working for anyone when you're joining in the first five to 10 employees, you're working with everyone as a team. And so you need to make sure that you're going to be able to learn from and be and learn with those founders as much as work with that product. The product is really important, but also the founder is really important. You need someone that has experience and has a background that leads to lends themselves to this company being successful, not just having money. So that's another thing I learned from this project, but, um, but yeah, so getting back to the story. So we've reached famous level. We have maybe 50% of everybody in the city visiting the website once in a while. They don't, the problem is that they're not all signing up on the website. They're coming and they're getting the mobile number. And now we're, we're, we have a sales team in the company that are going out and trying to sell sponsored listings, advertising on the website, millions of page views by now. And so we have, we can make ad revenue. So we have a sales team that I bartered on commission only. And the sales team is going out and making these deals. We're starting to make money, but it's the growth is starting to stagnate, right? So any channel that you hack or organically hit, or even paid channels, eventually at some point there, you will hit saturation point. So with SEO, we maxed out with what we could do. And uh, the partnerships, there was no other big brands we could go to. The giveaways were running, but it's a review writing website. So the only people interested in the giveaways, they were UGC giveaways. So if you know what that means, it's a user generated content giveaway, meaning people have to write something or create a piece of content to get entered in the giveaway. Only the people that like writing reviews are going to do that. So there's a saturation point with that. And um, yeah, so I went to the CEO and I said, you know, look, man, you need to relinquish 85% ownership of this company 
Um, he owned 85%. I was owning 10%. Um, and I'll give away my, some of my percentage, but we need to go raise investment and we need to hire a really good development team from the U.S. to come to Dubai. We need to get rid of this MVP development team that's having all kinds of crashes and UX bad things happening to our users. Not anything like security-wise or anything, but like just bad user experience, page loading, 404 errors, things like you shouldn't have when you have hundreds of thousands of users. So um, he was not willing to do that. And he believed that we had more ability to get organic growth than we thought. So we kept, we went back to the drawing board for a few months. And then I told him, like, <clears throat> I gave him an ultimatum, like, look, I'm going to leave the company two and a half years of, or of hacking the growth. It's time now to become legitimate and spend money on advertising and build a real team. And um, he, he didn't believe me. And so I left the company, unfortunately. And three months later, the company had completely crashed. He closed down everything. Um, he, to add the dramatic effect, he, um, he didn't post on Facebook to 600,000 fa Facebook fans, I believe. No, I'm sorry, 600,000 subscribers, 300,000 active users, 100,000 social media followers, and we didn't even put up a landing page saying goodbye. So it was a, a really big failure in the region, and there was even newspaper articles about it. So for what we can understand of the, the discussion we have right now, you joined the company, build the growth hacking tool, engine, uh, start the development of the growth uh, process. After some points, you yep. feel that you yep. reach the, the, the maximum of the organic growth you can. As the owner, the main owner of the company is not willing to open up to more, um, to more investments, you run out of cash to keep growing the company. And because of that, and nothing really happened from, uh, from the management side, no money were injected in the company. And after you left, uh, the company just like collapsed. Correct. Yeah. So a little bit of expansion on that, basically, you know, a good marketer makes decisions based on data, not on your gut or your instinct. A good entrepreneur should and CEO should definitely be have that gut decision making, but you should be open to data and you should always hire people that you know are smarter than you and you should believe that those people are smarter than you at their individual job. If you're if you're spend a lot of money hiring a marketing expert like myself and then you don't take the advice and the guidance of that marketing director, you're probably going to fail because you're wasting your time and your money by, you know, working with someone with so much experience if you're not going to let them lead that part of your project. Um, chief everything officer, you know, the best founders, they take out the garbage, they do HR, they do everything. But then when they have the resources to hire individual experts in each thing, that's how you get better as a company. So that's another thing that I learned from this, you know, like you shouldn't work with a founder that isn't going to utilize your entire tool or you shouldn't um, be a founder. You shouldn't hire senior level people if you want to micromanage and you want to, um, to not, uh, to not let that person do their job. So what triggered for you, you know, like this decision of leaving the company? Was it like, I don't know, one discussion you have with your boss, or with um, the boss or CEO of the company? Uh, what did trigger, you know, for you this feeling of, okay, it's time to put an ultimatum. If, if nothing moves, I have to go. Yeah, I, again, I think it was just data-based. I definitely didn't have anything against him personally. He's still a friend, and I think he's really good guy and he was really talented at focusing on the user experience and rolling up his sleeves and um and uh getting involved like a lot of people he would write support messages back to people when he would come in and he would handle some social media stuff and so with the time that he had he was definitely very involved and i really liked working with him and i learned a lot from him he was a very aggressive guy um and talented at making deals and so i learned a lot from him it's just um my for me i realized once that we weren't going to go anywhere any further organically we were already famous so it was a perfect time to raise money and uh, i had a minority ownership so i wasn't able to make the decisions for the business that i wanted to and so i unfortunately i had to choose either my time versus this company and you know my, my life is obviously more important to me than somebody else's company but um, i uh 
I really, you know, I waited. I, I we struggled the last twelve months with the company to grow it organically before I made that ultimatum. It wasn't like I was just disgruntled so, and said that. So no, I don't think we ever had a fight or anything like that. So it was more for you like a, an ongoing feeling that nothing was moving on, and at some point you say, okay, I I can't keep on keep keep on with it, and I need to to move on. Yeah, I would say it was it was already a sinking ship. Um, when I left, I, but nobody else could realize that we were gaining water, but me, because I have the most experience. Right. So I was definitely feeling it for 12 months that, you know, like we need better leadership. We need to bring on an advisor that has 10 or 15 years experience at the CEO level with companies so that we know that, and that's what all these big tech companies do. Mark Zuckerberg brought on Sandra. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Sheryl Sandberg, Google brought on Eric Schmidt. All the biggest tech companies, they're young founders. Once they get to a billion dollar or, I mean, big pond, big fish level for their small pond, then they need to bring on a, a, a better captain. It's very interesting what you're mentioning because you keep having traffic, you keep having traction, you keep having uh, use of the website, but you're already feeling that there's something wrong, something thinking on the background, and this is when you start waving the flags to me, hey guys, there's something wrong, let's do something, and the decision was not properly made. Yeah, let me let me give you another instance, you know, like so after this project, I moved to San Francisco where 75% of all the tech investment in the world is in this one city. It's the only place in the world where everywhere you go, someone is a founder or an employee of a startup. Everybody is focused on user experience, focused on creating value for users and changing the world. So what would have happened if Yadig was in Dubai is this. We would have gotten that initial traction up to those hundreds of thousands of users. We would have gone and probably raised money giving up 10 to 25% of the website of the ownership, but we would have raised probably with that much. I mean, in Dubai, we were still going to raise probably $2 million, but in, if we were in San Francisco, it would have been like 10 to 15 million, maybe 20 or something. I don't know, but it would have been a big a round because we were already, he already seeded it himself. So um, we would have raised that money. We would have built out a team and bought ourselves two years of focusing on the product without having to make money. What you do when you do that is you impress users so much because it's free. You're not trying to sell any advertising yet. You're not trying to de downgrade the user experience for the sake of making money. That's why companies take on funding is so that you can buy that runway to make a better product for your users. So you have enough value to charge them later on, or you have enough user base to charge advertisers later on. So that's what Facebook did. That's what every company's done. I mean, even Yelp, they weren't generating revenue until they were about like 10 years old or something, I think. And um, a lot of these companies, you know, it's a long-term vision. So uh, it was really unfortunate when you dig went under because I felt like we did a lot of that hard work already. 90% of startups fail before they even get to the point of having an opportunity to speak to an investor or raise money. You know what I mean? So we had an investor ready to invest up to $200,000, I believe with us and that would have enabled us to stay alive much longer. And uh, like I said, um, um, we paved the way for education for the region. And then a second mover came in with budgets. They raised a lot of money and they didn't have to spend money on education for the user base. People understood the value of reviews. So they came in and they focused on just promoting the product and, and spending a lot of money on advertising and they took over the entire region. They're, they're in, they're even in the United States now. That's uh, that's very interesting what you mentioned. You know, it's like uh, first build a product, get users to use the product, and uh, if there is no business model straight correlated to the users, like get money to make sure that you can uh, keep developing a product that people love. Uh, it's a very interesting way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. From, from the product you've been working with, like you mentioned, uh, one few of the big companies such as Dupizel, um which other business you worked with were going through the same approach than Yadi? So you mean like with the same kind yeah, of I mean marketing? Like the, the, or? The, same, the same path, you know, it's like you have the user growth, uh, you have the, the website keeps getting more traction, more tractions, but uh, it's time to, to raise money, like to make sure that the website stays free for a longer time. So do you have any other example, you know, that you could implement the same strategy? Of course. Yeah. So... So do, with Duvizel, the first startup exit I was at, the founders were very focused on quality and user experience more than anywhere I'd ever worked per, before, or maybe even since then. So they were raising money 
to be able to keep in building the development team because they wanted to just have the best possible product. So they raised a little bit of money right when I joined and then they hired me as their head of marketing. And that, that money that they had raised um, was enabled them to, um, to, to get that talent and, and build out that team. Then once the product was amazing, they, instead of taking on more investment, they started hiring very talented advertising salespeople and have the, that talented development team build advertising units onto the site, right? So unique advertising opportunities at the time that really weren't available anywhere else in the region um, for, and targeting options that weren't available. Facebook ads wasn't around yet. So um, interest level targeting for the amount of user base that they had in the, and again, but the growth definitely happened even at Dubizzle from SEO, from PPC and from PR, those, and like, Social, net, social media and social networking. That was pretty much the main growth strategy. There was a lot of in-person and event stuff too. Um, we even did like growth hacking in the sense where we sent photographers to nightclubs and they handed out business cards for the website saying, see your pictures tomorrow on dubizzle.com. And then we get people to go and then they'd see that how good of a product the website was and, and they would convert and sign up because it was a free tool. So that, so Definitely, if we had had better leadership at Yadig and we had had um, a long-term vision from the founders, then we would have been able to do the exact same thing that Dubizzle did because Dubizzle was five years old before I, or four years old before I even joined and scaled it. And then we sold a year later. So this company, Yadig, had been around for like six months or a year before I had joined. So you need a founder that has... Um, really long-term vision and, and isn't afraid to continuously change things and iterate to get there. And uh, it's, as a founder myself, I can completely uh, agree with what you're saying. It's not that simple, you know, to find the, the right people, the right team to, um, to meet the objectives, you know, with the, um, the constraints you may have of uh, finding the right people, having the right people, finding the sales, the team, the marketing, like so many things to properly handle. So people of experience definitely make a difference when it comes to hiring the right person. So you join Yadig, mm -hmm. uh, you spend with her like a few, well, how much time do you spend with her? Like one year and a half, two years? Two, two and, and a half, half years. years. So God, after perhaps. two and a half years, you leave Yadig, Yadig and uh, close like soon after, after you, you left it. And now it will take us to, yep. to the learning of this experience. Like, now that you've been doing this, this happened like about six years ago, four or five years ago. So, yeah, Stop. almost six. Yeah. So what learning are you still carrying on with you after this experience? Yeah, so like I said, I think the biggest learning from this project was that picking a founder is as, as important as picking an investment. If you're going to invest your entire life in this person, right? Because like you said, these projects can take up to 10 years. So you need to really be ready um, to, to be working with that person. And that person is steering the ship that you're put betting your life on for a long time. So, um, you know, I learned a lot and I obviously launched a lot of interesting campaigns and did partnerships and met a lot of great people from working this company. So it's not all lost. Like I carried the strategies that I learned there onto the next company. The very next company I joined, I worked at for another two and a half years and we sold that company for $10 million. So we exited that business. And then um, since then I've been a successful consultant. So everything failing is just as important as winning because you're learning so many things. And I think the main learning from this was that if you're not the founder, you need to really be impressed by the founder's vision and the talents that they bring to the table and their ability to um, steer the ship. And as a founder, uh, I think the lesson from this is that you take on funding, even if you think you don't need it. You're a fool to not want to take on any funding unless you are making hand money hand over foot and you don't even need to take on any advisorship or get PR and your marketing machine is happening. If you're not making money, then you need to take on so investment. So for you, the main period. two lessons for them get investments to make sure you can keep building a product that people love and be cautious with the team you're going to join from the founder with a long-term vision to a team of talented people to manage the different aspects of the development of the startup or whatever project you're working on. Is there any third lesson you would have got from this experience with Yadik.com? 
He then he said, "Lesson you may get from this Yadig experience, apart from the investment and the team." Yeah, I think a third lesson is probably um, third lesson. Let's see. No, I'm. Um, you know, like I said, I think I learned from this later on in life that there's no such thing as failing. Obviously, I was really upset when I left the company, and then I was even more upset when they failed. You know, I still wanted them to succeed even after I left. I just wasn't willing to to put in any more of my life with that with that leader. But um, I was. Uh, I think that I thought that it was a total waste in the beginning, but then you realize that there is no such thing as failure. You're, I learned many things that then carried me to a better project. So actually, when I left Dubai after this, I went to San Francisco and I took three months purposely unemployed and I interviewed founders. So instead of just going for the first company that liked me, I felt like I needed to interview companies. And so I took my time, and I, and that was the lesson from you dig, and I picked a good company because we ended so up having. So it's right interesting that you mentioned it's like after leaving this one, so you started doing the interview of uh, founders to to see which one you'll be happy to to join. Did you open any kind of website, or is it something you used to do like on a coffee or a bar, or how did this happen? The interview of founders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, basically, I would send an email. Here's me. Here's my background. This is what I'm looking to do. Tell me about yourself, and then we would we would talk on the phone. You know, the same the same as online dating. You start messaging, then you talk on the phone, then you have a date. I, love, I love this way of contacting uh, contacting people. So it took you three months before you start finding people like you were feeling comfortable with. No, I mean you know, like three months from landing there, I, I met forty companies in three months. So. 40 companies and I picked one and then we ended up being the right decision. So I just rough guesstimate three months. It might've that's, been like uh, that, That's very cool. I really love this way, you know, of doing things differently. And that's something that you, you, you show, you know, all the experience you share with us today. Um, Andrew, we're gonna, we're gonna reach the, the end of the podcast. Is there anything, any message you would like to share with the entrepreneurs or people starting soon a project listening to us today? Yeah. So, um, you know, at this point in my career as a full-time consultant, I don't work with companies unless they raise money. So, so I basically, you know, you raise a couple million dollars for your project. You've already built traction and now you need somebody who knows how to launch and scale PPC, influencer, email, social, everything. Um, but that unfortunately means that I'm not affordable for the early stage startups that are, you know, still at um, launch phase and figuring some things out about a need to test and build organic growth themselves. So um, last year I spent six months developing an online course that walks people through exactly how I build growth organically. So all the tools that I used um, to do SEO without having to pay a cent, there's a module in the course, four modules in the course, all about SEO, how to do your own PR, how to do your own email marketing, 25 different tool recommendations, how to do viral sweeps and giveaways. So if you're an early stage founder and you're listening to this, and you don't have money to spend on paid ads, you're not going to find a marketer that is going to tell you there's plenty of ways to build traction without spending money. And unfortunately, you can't pay me to do it for you yet, but I have a course that for $1,000, it will teach you how to, um, how to do everything yourself. And I do monthly payments. I'll give you a discount if you go through Mistakers. Mistakers has an exclusive discount um, that they can give any of the listeners to this podcast. You can message Florian about more info about that. But I highly recommend it for anybody that needs to build traction for like three to six months on their own. And this will build you the traction you need to go impress investors and take on that money and then scale your business. 90% of startups fail in the early phase because they don't have that traction. They spend a little bit of money on paid ads. It doesn't work. They blow their runway and they go out of business. So I don't want to see that happen for you. So, so Andrew, your main advice would be like focus on growth hacking with the right tools, the right advice and the right people. Absolutely. Like even before your product is launched, you need to start your marketing. So you need to be going on social. Um, you need to be building your PR list, not messaging them yet, but building the emails of the press and reporters that you want to reach out to. You need to be lining up partnerships, um, you know, guest post uh, content marketing. You need to be launch 
get ready to launch everything. So that starts before. You don't start when the product is ready. So That's I nice. teach all and, that. And uh, people can get the offer you mentioned at mistakers.co slash Andrew. So if you're interested to know more about the course, the different tips from Andrew and get access to a one-to-one session with Andrew, feel free to visit mistakers.co slash Andrew and the link will be available on the uh, blog post related to the interview. Andrew, it was a pleasure of uh, having you on the podcast, especially knowing like it's been weeks and almost months that we're trying to, to get you here and you know trying to fit mm-hmm. in the busy agenda. Yeah, two digital <laughs> nomads, bad internet. That's the main issue we had for the people listening to us, we try to catch up each other for at least in doing at least like five different countries. And uh, we finally got the combination of country between Georgia and, uh, and uh, where we are again, sorry, Andrew? So, Johannesburg. I'm in Johannesburg, Andrew, South Africa. Thanks for your Africa. time. And uh, if people are trying to want to follow up with you, with any website, any social media they can get access? Yes, so I'm Andrew Startups. So it's andrewstartups.com. It's Instagram, Andrew Startups, Facebook, Andrew Startups, Twitter, Andrew Startups, LinkedIn, Andrew Startups. So find me, message me, and uh, yeah, hope to help you succeed in the future. And Thanks, Florian. We Appreciate see uh, our listeners again next week with a new interview. This was uh, Andrew sharing with us his experience as the Yadig. Marketing manager who go from uh, almost a new company to uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, daily users until the end of uh, Yadig a few years ago. Andrew, once again, thanks for your time and people will be happy to find you on your different social media. Bye-bye and see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this new episode of Mysticus.co. If you did, please share the podcast with your friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And if you want to help us to do better for you, don't forget to visit us on mistaker.co. We see you in a week for new interviews. And do not forget, there is nothing like failure.